Um, so, Psalm 19, then, is a, a great psalm. This is the psalm that uh, was spoken of C.S. Lewis when he, he kind of did this devotional thing to the psalms. And of Psalm 19, he said, I take this to be the greatest poem in the Psalter. Um, so this is number one out of 150, according to C.S. Lewis. Not that uh, that's the most significant thing in the world. But, uh, yeah, he is speaking of Psalm 19. It's 14 verses. And this is a psalm that was written by King David. Uh, and it's a beautiful psalm, and it's got these three major things going throughout this psalm in these 14 verses. And the first one is this. There is this, this awe-inspiring description of the self-revelation of God in, in just the cosmic creation. Uh, and then the second portion is describing the role of and the desire for the Word of God, the Scriptures. And, and then the first part, or the third part, is this, this honest and just vulnerable prayer uh, of David, which, which I hope will be a prayer of ours as well after you've seen this. So uh, grab your Bibles. I want you to follow along. We'll read all of Psalm 19 here to get started. Um, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their measuring line goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his heirs? Declare me innocent from, my, from hidden faults. Keep back your servants also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The grass withers and the flower fades. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the Psalms, for the revelation about you that we receive in them. Thank you for the way that your word calibrates our hearts and our minds back to you, back to truth, back to an eternal perspective. Thank you for Psalm 19. And may the words now spoken be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Amen. So the world is full of famous visual art. There's sculptures and architecture, there's drawings and, and paintings, and, and the best of that art draws the observer in so that we are looking at the details, and when we do so, uh, we feel something. It actually moves us in some way. And, and the thing is with art, though, is that when we see it, we, we just know. You don't have to be told, you just know that somebody made it. You know, no one, no one looks up at the Sistine Chapel and wonders, how did all that paint 
randomly end up in that arrangement. No one does that. Uh, no. They're amazed at the situation. They're amazed at what they see. And they're amazed at the artist, Michelangelo, when they look up at that, that ceiling. You see, the, the oldest and the most amazing art installation in existence is the universe that we live in. And it was created by God. The sun and the planets, the birds and the fish, the trees and the flowers, men and women, sunsets, and like we had last night, thunderstorms. Um, and those rare nights, when you look on the horizon and you see the giant moon, um, full moon on the horizon. But if ever there was a generation, uh, a generation that needed this psalm, Psalm 19, to turn our eyes back uh, to see the handcrafted work of God in creation, it is our generation. Because it, it seems that our, our generation, as much as any other in history, uh, have exemplified what the Apostle wrote in the first chapter of Romans. Romans 1, 18-21. And there we're told that God has revealed himself in creation and that humanity has suppressed the truth. Romans 1 says in verse 19, uh, and it's speaking to, to those who worship God. It says, uh, or rather, who do not worship God. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. See, apart from, apart from a work of the Spirit in us, mankind will suppress the truth of God. And I, I even find it somewhat ironic at this stage in, in our, our history of the world, really, that uh, it's not just an intellectual suppression of the truth, but, uh, but really in a physical manner as, a way, as well. We've built these big cities, and um, at night they shine so bright with these, these lights in the cities, and it can be very beautiful when you look from the outside. But the lights of the city also make it very difficult when you're there to actually see any of the stars. Um, you know, growing up in, in Houston, it was a very rare thing to see more than a few stars in the sky. Uh, and so you have this almost structural suppression of the truth as well. So um, I want us to look at this text then, okay? We're going to start with verse 1, uh, verse one uh, and God willing, recalibrate our eyes to see God in all of creation. That's the goal, okay? Um, so now did you notice the first thing here is that this psalm is not praising God. It's not. It's also not calling you to praise God. Um, which is a little weird, not what you expect from a psalm, but it's telling us that the creation is declaring, is proclaiming praise to God. It's, it's like this, this finger pointing, you know, look, look at the creation. Look at the way it is praising and the way it's proclaiming the glory of God. That's what it's pointing us to. And you see, to, to proclaim anything at all is this, uh, or declare something is, this, is very loud, it's very public. Uh, and, and so how does the creation, and specifically the heavens, proclaim the glory of God? It, it does so by showing forth the craftsmanship of God. It, it reflects uh, the skill of the maker who has actually made everything that we see in the universe. Uh, in fact, verse 3 tells us here, you know, there, there are no words, no speech, and, and yet there is knowledge of God goes out. There is something that has been communicated. There is this, you know, the knowledge of God is continuously pouring forth from creation day after day and night after night. And, and this knowledge is communicated not verbally, but visually. And, and the point of this is that 
no man or woman, wherever their location on this earth or language they speak, has excuse for failing to acknowledge the authority of God as their creator. Um, the creation then communicates something to us, something about God, and for that reason it's, it's often called general revelation. It's a theological term. It's general in its scope. And it's detail. It communicates sufficiently that God exists, but it does not tell us that Je- what, what Jesus has done to redeem his people. Uh, for that, what we need is, is what's called special revelation, the word of God, the Bible as we know it. Now, um, what we're seeing then here is uh, science. Science is a word, right, that some of us have a problem with, some of us really love. But science is basically a, a word that just means the study of the natural world. And, and I love science when it's done honestly because really it's this figuring out the way that God's creation works uh, by using God-given intelligence to really dig into and to understand us. And in fact, it even, it even helps us in a lot of ways because it gives us these blocks for, for making new things and using the creation in new ways. And, uh, you know, often something amazing and very helpful and other times things very harmful. Uh, but science is, is ultimately like, uh, like the kid or the, or the 40-year-old, you know, taking apart the Lego set to see, uh, you know, how all those different pieces fit together. It's this creative process, you know, but, but even in Legos, we haven't really made the Legos so much as learn about the Legos and reuse them. And so we don't always see how amazing God is in, in his creation, but, but we should. And, and I want us to. Did, did you know that there are more stars in the sky then there are grains of sand on all the beaches on the earth. More. Um, or, you know that if you shrunk down the earth to the size of a white blood cell running through your blood, uh, in your body, and then you shrunk the Milky Way down using the exact same scale, that the sun, uh, the sun to the size of the blood cell, right? That's the scale we're talking about. Then the Milky Way would be the size of the continental United States. That's how big all that out there that we are looking at at night really is. Um, in fact, the sun is so far from us. It's this burning ball of gas. And, and yet, uh, when, when light leaves the surface of the sun, it takes eight minutes for it to travel from there to here. That's no big deal, right? I can hardly get across town in eight minutes. But uh, eight minutes isn't, isn't that crazy. But did you know that the second closest star to us is one that's called Proxima Centauri? Did I pronounce that right? Uh, probably not. And, and, and the light that you see from that, this, is, this just blows me away, away. The light that you see from that will have taken four years and three months to get to us. The sun to us, eight minutes. The next closest star, uh, the sun, you know, the light that you see from it tonight would have had to have left at the beginning of April 2012. You even know what you were doing that long ago? This church didn't even exist then. That's 25 trillion miles from us, and that's the second closest star, right? The next closest after the sun. I mean, these are the things that just show us, you know, the creation of of God is absolutely amazing. I mean, do you ever even think about gravity? I mean, without gravity, we'd all just fly off the planet, right? It'd it'd be uh, similar to the way the kids go flying off that spinny thing that's made in the parks that were created before lawyers existed. Uh, Those things. And, and I was so curious about, about that. Why aren't we flying off? And I, I looked it up, you know, I was, how does gravity work? And so I went to a few of these well-known well, uh, science websites. And what I found was everyone's fairly un- uncertain how it works. 
that surprised me. I thought we'd have real good answers for this. One site said, said uh, just this, the mystery of gravity is pretty much still intact. That was, that's the science answer. It's, it's still a mystery, uh, uh, which means, you know, that the reason that both like a book and a pebble fall at the same time or that they fall at all is, well, because it does. That's, that's the science behind it. It does. Because um, God's creative work in the world is just utterly amazing because God himself is utterly amazing. And, and what this psalm is telling us is that the handiwork uh, of the sky and the ocean and the animals and the plants and human bodies, which are just amazing, uh, should lead everyone who has ever lived at any place, anywhere on the earth, to seek out God because he exists. And then in, in verses 4 through 6, we see that the sun's spoken of, right? Uh, it's personified. This isn't bad science. It doesn't think the sun's a person. Um, about the rising and the setting, it's, it it's goes from its resting place in, in this tent, and it's departing the tent and, and, and with this joy like a, a groom who leaves to go to his bride, and, and then the running of the course all the way to the end. And, and then this portion ends stating that, that nothing is hidden from the heat of the sun. You know, even, even if we can evade the sunlight, we cannot evade its heat. We figured that out some this, this summer. Uh, that was particularly true back in this era when there was no air conditioning at all. Um, we simply cannot escape the knowledge of God. It, it is revealed to us all over the world, everywhere, in the sky. Uh, and, and the last thing I want to point out in this portion here is that since God has created the universe, that means that there, there was a time in history where only God existed and nothing else. Can you get your head around that? Um, there was nothing but God, and then God created something. I mean, if, if you can hold just that one thought in your mind, how do you not fearfully worship? It just, it scrambles my mind because now there is this vast seeming endless universe and at one point there was nothing nothing and yet now you and i right now in this very moment are are, are standing or sitting rather on a, a big rock that is flying through space around a flaming ball of gas at sixty-seven thousand miles per hour well another rock we just call the moon so it makes sense to us flies around us and it moves the water in our seas by what is basically the force right that's good science, right? Um, the God who made the universe is glorious. And like, like horses with blinders, we just miss it sometimes. And now, this psalm is really unique because it not only speaks of this general revelation that God communicates his existence and creation, but it also speaks of, of the spe special revelation of God through the scriptures. We see that in verses uh, 7 through 11 here. Verses 7, 8, and 9 are just a pattern, one after another. I don't know if you noticed that. Uh, there's these six phrases that basically mean the word of God. Uh, they are the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, and the, Lord, and the rules of the Lord. And, and each of those is followed by an, an adjective describing the word of God, that, that the law of, of God is perfect and sure and right and pure and clean and true. And, and then David reminds us uh, of the why the word of God is of so much value to us. And the first thing he says is, is that um, God's law is perfect, reviving the soul. 
To, to revive anything is to return life or consciousness, right? Um, in the, the hot summer months we've seen, today is not that hot, but uh, we've seen it. Maybe you've looked outside and you've seen your, your plants just kind of wilting, right? They're, they're dying, begging you to give them water. Um, and eventually you, you give them the water and you just see them kind of come back to life. Um, they're revived in their, in their sense, in that sense. Uh, the Word of God has that effect on us. You know, if you find yourself under, under high stress related to work or parenting or relationships or uh, sin, you, you may feel like, like this wilting plant. And, and if that's the case, know that the Word of God can revive your soul. I mean, that's, that's what it's saying here. Um, the other side of that is, Christian, take note that if the Word revives our souls, then it's also true that we can expect that we're going to wilt when we don't have it in our lives. Um, also in verse 7 here, we learn that the Word of God makes the simple wise, right? Simple is usually an insult. That's not the case here. Uh, it, it's not a reference to stupidity or even rebellious foolishness. It's another Hebrew word that would have been used had it been. Uh, rather, it's a, a reference to, to young people who have such little experience that they're in danger uh, of making poor and destructive life choices. Um, those who are at a stage of, of life in which they simply cannot understand the consequences of the decisions they're going to make. make. And, and, and they need the wide guidance of the Word of God, wise guidance of the Word of God. And it, it's certainly true that uh, much learning will make somebody knowledgeable, but the only way that we ever come to true wisdom about life and the world we live in is, uh, is from the Word of God. Um, and then we see there in verse 8 that the Word of God rejoices the heart. That's pretty self-explanatory. You know, when we live life knowing that it will with certain end in death, what greater joy is there than the knowledge that God has given us a Redeemer so that we may live with Him for eternity. Also in verse 8, we, we learn that God's commandments are pure. Enlightening the eyes. Enlightening is this, this gaining of greater knowledge, uh, the Enlightenment era, right? Uh, greater understanding. And we see the world better when we view it through the lens of Scripture. Uh, it's important for us to notice here um, particularly as, as, as Christians in this era, that the Torah, the law of God, it is presented here not as a burden, but as a source of wisdom, a source of joy, a means of being enlightened. Yes, there are commands to be obeyed throughout it, but they are understood as rules, uh, not as rules to oppress, but as a guide for God's people so that they might flourish. Uh, some of you know, Laura and I take a, a spin class. That's where you ride a bike and go nowhere uh, inside. And there are a variety of instructors at this point, and so uh, we'll go in, and, and every once in a while we'll, we'll have them. Some of the instructors give us, you know, that stereotypical millennial statement, um, do whatever you think might challenge you, and uh, I hate those classes because I don't know what to do. I don't know what will challenge me. I don't get challenged. I don't, I don't get stronger in those situations. Like, why are you there talking if you're not going to tell me to do something? It's, it's easy for me to just tell myself what I want to hear, and, and not often is that really going to challenge me. What, what I really need is, is, is direction. I, I want the person up there telling me, you know, add four gears, ride as fast as you can. Do it for 30 seconds. See if you die. Uh, that kind of thing. You know, go to your base gear. Sit down. Let's recover because you look like you're about to die. That sort of thing. And, and the Word of God gives us direction. 
You know, we, we need in life. It gives us a direction we need to go strong in the Lord. And so that even, even the Apostle Paul understood the, the goodness of the law. We tend to think of him as being against the law. But in Romans 7.12, he writes, So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. And not only good, but, but the common theme in this section is that the Scriptures are coming from God, and, and thus they have authority in our life to be obeyed. These aren't just factoids about things, but a guide for actually living this God-given life on this God-given earth as we fly through the universe on a big rock that we can't make sense out of. That's what we're seeing here. And then verses 10 and 11, they're about rightly valuing the Word of God. When I was in elementary school, my my 20-year plan for life, yeah, I had a 20-year plan, was to get rich from baseball cards. Um, You can probably already tell it didn't pan out. We would trade these back and forth, and it was like the stock market. Only um, my friend Keith actually had what was called a Beckett magazine. Some of you might remember that. And the Beckett magazine actually gave him values of cards, and so he had information the rest of us didn't have. Um, and I remember one day he talked me into trading my Roger Clemens and my Don Mattingly rookie cards uh, for Rafael Palmario, which was, you know, he was okay, um, for one card. And it was a terrible trade horrible trade since, you know, I didn't know the value of any of these cards, and I had this wrong value system. I didn't know how much it should be, be valued. In the long term, really, both of us had a bad value system because the cards of that era turned out to be worthless. Um, even the card where they were printed on might be worth more than, than they're worth. Um, but what David's trying to help us see here is to have a right value system when it comes to, to God's Word. That the scriptures are more valuable than gold, even lots of high quality of gold, right? Um, what becomes clear then is that this isn't some intellectual thing for David. It's not an intellectual commitment to the Bible that he's making. This is an, an all-out, passionate love for God that longs to know what he has revealed in his word. He says it's, it's sweeter than honey off the honeycomb. Um, so the machine has had some of that this week, so they could probably tell you about that. Uh, but as good as honey is, we don't really have the same view of it today. It doesn't have that same pool on us because in David's time, there was no, no food as, as sweet as honey. And so it was this rare delicacy that they would long for. And when they'd find it, they would just crave it in, in wonderful ways because it was so, so rare. So, uh, you know, for us to understand this properly in terms of um, God's word being more desirable than, say, creme brulee. Or I might say bluebell ice cream. Um, or some of you think, you know, the perfectly cooked steak, uh, which is well done according to me, not Travis. Uh, or if you're Hannah Campbell, we're talking about uh, the word is more desirable than a fresh bowl of kale. And, <laughs> and we would all absolutely agree with you on that one. Um, but, you know, t- today we have so much access to the word of God that I think we tend to forget just how amazing it is. He says it's more to be desired than gold. Gold hasn't changed much over the years. Um, And and the reason is because if you have gold, um, at best you can improve your life here and now, right? You can get some awesome stuff. uh, You can do some great things with it. But but what you gain from the Word of God is, is eternal. It goes well beyond anything gold can purchase you. And so, yes, it really is more desirable than sweet honey. It really is of more value to him than much fine gold. And that's what he wants us to understand. Um, 
Verse 11 then kind of closes this section by adding one more great thing about the scriptures. They, they give us warnings, and in keeping them, there are great rewards. Warnings so that we, we know what's, what's expected, right? And, and the great rewards, that kind of scares us when we see that in scripture, doesn't it? Uh, it's not stated explicitly what those rewards are, but it certainly includes what we've seen in this scripture, that of a, a revived soul. Uh, wisdom for life, a joyful heart, enlightened eyes, and, and godly fear. Uh, so let's look at these last three verses. Um, in this last section, it's David's response uh, to God. God has revealed himself in creation. God has revealed himself in, in scripture. And, uh, and now he's giving this prayer in response. And, and so when he, declare, when he writes, declare me innocent, that's a plea to God for forgiveness. Uh, he's asking for forgiveness from, from hidden sin, he says right there, right? Um, what he means is not that he's had some sort of amnesia, like, I have no idea who stole that. Um, you know, it's not that kind of forgetfulness of, uh, of the sin actually committed, but that sense in which sometimes our, our sin is hidden from us in the sense that we don't feel it, or we don't acknowledge it as, as sin, or we don't feel the weight of what that sin is. I mean, all of us have probably become aware of some sin in your life at times, and you think you just, you just move on. That's, that's the forgetfulness, that sort of indifference to sin, and, and he wants forgiveness from that. And then in verse 13, we also see that he asks God to keep him from presumptuous sins. Do you, do you know what presumptuous sins are, what this means? It's, it's something done in arrogance and, and with absolute disregard of divine commands. It's that sin that we knowingly do because we presume that we know better than God. And, and it's that sin that we, you know, presumptuously believe is, is really just no big deal. Uh, and, and a lot of the times, particularly in our era, is because everyone else is doing it. And the distinction made here, though, is that there is a way of sinning, not a particular sin, but a way of sinning that is done in prideful rebellion of what we know to be right according to the word, uh, the word of God. And the thought that, that, that it goes through our minds in these moments is, is something like this, something like, I'm very aware that God, what God's word has said. This is sinful, this is harmful for me, and I just don't care. I want what I want, and I'm going to do it anyway. It's this rejection of, of God's word. And at the very least, it's a rejection of God's authority over us. Uh, you, you've seen this in a toddler before. I've seen it many times. Um, surely you've seen this before. You know, mama says, Billy, don't throw that sand. And, and that boy looks straight in the face of his mom. And there's that defiance, that narrowing of the eyes. And, and you can see, you know, the wheels turning in his mind. The little boy's considering it. And, and then you can just kind of see it in his face resolution. He's going to do it. Uh, we all know what's coming next. The mom knows what's coming next. You're watching. You're like, I know what's coming next. Um, and, and he's resolved. He's decided he's going to do it anyway. And there's that throw. Whoosh, you know, the sand goes flying. And the mom just patiently corrects him. <laughs> all right, the first part of that you've seen. The second part you've probably never seen. Um, <clears throat> really, though, <laughs> that's the time to learn it as a kid, right? Um, <laughs> Uh, it's much worse when we get older, when as ch older children or teenagers or adults, you know, we get better at hiding it and you can't see it on our face as much. Um, you know, the most common presumptuous sins in our culture today tend to be related to sexual ethics, pornography, you just don't care what God's word says, premarital sex, homosexuality, unfaithfulness to a spouse. 
Um, but the truth is, it, it really could be any sin. Any sin can fall into that category. It could be, uh, you know, you're lying to a friend or a boss or, or anyone that you think lying to will get you the result you want. That's a presumptuous sin if you think that through and ahead of time. Um, so, you know, remember that each and every one of us is absolutely capable of these presumptuous sins he's talking about. And that's why David is praying to God, asking him to, to keep him from them. That, that should be our prayer. Um, you know, there are going to be some sins that we commit for sure. That's, that's life. But um, that prayer, that sin won't have dominion over him. It's really, you know, Paul echoes that later, Romans 6, 12, where he writes, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. You know, for, for the Christian, there is this, this fight, this, this active fight against sin in our lives, and, and the prayer to God is, is one of the best weapons we have that we, we, we tend to forget about. God, keep me from presumptuous sins. And then in verse 13, we, we see that David's hope is to be blameless. Uh, when we read this through the, the lens of the New Testament, we know that the only way to truly be blameless is to be counted um, blameless or as such through faith in Christ. And, and the truth is, you know, we will sin, you will sin our entire lives, but don't let that shut down that desire for holiness. Too often that's the case. We will sin, so let's sin. Um, you know, don't let it shut down that desire for ongoing sanctification as, as God conforms us more and more to the image of, of Christ, His Son, and our Savior uh, through the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. And so then, the, the final verse, verse 14, is, is this continuing prayer, and this time he's, he's asking God to grant him internal thoughts, okay, and external words that are pleasing to God. I find this encouraging towards simply just considering my thoughts. You know, how often do we think about, are my thoughts and my words, you know, pleasing to God? Have the words I've spoken this week be acceptable to God? Have the thoughts of my heart been pleasing to my Savior, you know? Thoughts of bitterness or thankfulness, where, where have I been? What about envy? Envy for someone's home or their car or their job or, you know, even a desire for your body to be like their body, right? Uh, or just downright lust. David is, is asking God to grant him words and thoughts that reflect the goodness of God to us. He ends then by referring to God as his rock and his redeemer. God is his rock because he is this unmovable foundation for his life. Uh, and this term redeemer is this both a confession uh, and a profession all at once. A confession that we need a redeemer and a profession that God is that redeemer. And so let's, let's bring this to a close, which is a little bit of application, almost done. First, I, I want us, all of us, to make a new habit today, um, starting today and continuing on. First, uh, once a day, open your ears, open your eyes uh, to simply observe the creation of God. I, I mean this. You know, go outside, stare at a flower or a tree or a cloud passing by or, uh, you know, a squirrel just doing whatever a squirrel does. Um, you know, even stare at a person, maybe. Not in the creepy way, don't do that. But, you know, watch. Watch the way arms move and legs move and watch the, the pattern of eyes blinking and the way that we just thoughtlessly breathe. Like, that's amazing and we don't realize it. You know, consider the way that, that every human grew from, from this, this embryo into a new baby and into a child and into an adult. Just an amazing thing. You know, generation after generation after generation after generation. And so stare at creation and just be thankful to God for it. Just be thankful for the way it proclaims His glory. 
Parents, have conversations with your kids. The creation is one of the best ways we can show them God. Uh, you know, help them see just how amazing it is and how amazing God is. Explain things like, like the chemical reaction, you know, that yeast turns into a bread kind of thing. Or um, if that doesn't sound interesting, Mentos and Diet Coke, they'll, they'll appreciate that one. Um, show them an acorn, you know, remind them. That, that giant tree that is 60 feet tall started as this little acorn, and God has so put all the information that it needs to grow into that tree, uh, tree inside of this. You know, walk them through this art gallery of God's creation and watch them be amazed at the artist. Help them to keep seeing that. And, and for all of us, I, I just want us to walk out of the service today actively looking for God's workmanship in the world around you. Because the heavens, what we're seeing here, what we've seen, the heavens declare that God indeed exists and is powerful without end. And the word of God and the scriptures show us our sin and they reveal to us our need of a, sinner, of a redeemer uh, for our sin. And it shows us Jesus who can wash away our sin and give us faith and mediate for us and break the bonds of our sin and thus set us free. And the word of God gives us wisdom and guidance for the life we now live as children of God and as citizens of God's kingdom. Um, and just the last thing, we, we see the gospel here in Psalm 19. Uh, sometimes you think in the Old Testament you don't, but we, we see it in a lot of ways. We see it because um, God is only your rock if, if Jesus is your Redeemer. There's no other way around it. Let's pray. God, by, by your word, revive our souls. Make us wise, rejoice our hearts, enlighten our eyes. Give us real love for your word that, that we may desire it more than whatever tastes sweet to our lips. May your word warn us so that we might be kept from presumptuous sin. And thank you for the beauty of creation that sings out praise to you, the maker. May we as your creation also sing out praise to you, our creator and savior. May we look to you like King David does in the psalm as our rock and our redeemer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.